This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. You know, normally when you greet someone, you know, sometimes, especially here in the South, we'll say something like, uh, well, how are you feeling? And you know, that's just typical. How are you feeling? But you know what might be better? Instead of asking, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? Good morning. What are you thinking? Because that would probably tell you how they're feeling. Because how we think determines how we feel, and that determines what we do. Now, you think about this. What if a child has done something wrong, maybe climbed up in the kitchen cabinet and was trying to get to all the chocolate and just fell off the counter and just everything came crashing down? The mother runs in and says, what on earth are you thinking? And probably you could trace that back to what the child was first feeling. I sure would like to have that chocolate. It sure would taste good. And started thinking about it and then did what the child was not supposed to do. How we think determines how we feel, and that determines what we do. Now, we're still in a series entitled Emotions Let's Not Be Deceived, and the whole sermon series has to do with how powerful what we feel is and how destructive they can be if we find ourselves on a path, in a pattern, in a way of living, is where I make my decisions based on how I feel at any given moment. That, my friend, is destructive. And so... We're way into this series now. I'm getting close to bringing it to a close, and we've set a lot of foundational work, and then we've gotten specific on specific emotions. And so this morning, the specific emotion that we're looking at is depression. title of this message is Depression and Our Emotions. Now I want you to think, the psalmist writes... In Psalm 42, verse 5, I'm going to go through a lot of these quickly, so listen. Psalm 42, verse 5, the psalmist writes, Why are you in despair, O my soul? In other words, it's like I'm asking my innermost being, Chris, what's wrong with you? Chris, why are you in despair? I'm talking to my soul. Instead of thinking, Chris, what about all the happy memories? What about all the things in the past that God has done that is so wonderful? If we're not thinking along these lines, we will find ourselves in despair. And so uh, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like with inside of us. In our soul, and you remember we've already established the fact sermons ago now that our soul is where our mind is, where we think, our emotions where we feel, and our will where we make choices. And so it's like the psalmist is talking about the soul where the mind, the will, and the emotions are. And the soul and the mind and the feelings and all this can be thinking about what God has done and what God can do and will do, but instead the soul can get in despair thinking about only negative things. And it's like within the soul, it's like a tennis match. A ball is going back and forth in a tennis match. On one hand, praise God, I have great faith in the faithfulness of God. 
But just in a few moments later, a person could literally be thinking, but oh me, what's going to happen next? What's happened back there? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen in the future? And back and forth. So what I'm saying is this. This was the psalmist saying this. You and I have the same thing within us as children of God. No one is immune to depression. I know it doesn't sound good to say I'm depressed. I know it doesn't look good to be depressed, especially on the countenance and the body language. But the truth is, even a godly man or woman can feel depressed, either for a moment, for a day, for a few days, for a week, or maybe they get set in this state of depression. And so on one hand, they come on Sunday morning and maybe later in the week and they just great faithfulness in God, but then they're walking out, going to their car, getting out in the traffic, going back to school, going back to work, and it's like just getting back down into a depressive state. It's back and forth, back and forth. Think of Job in chapter 3 of Job. He's losing his wealth. He's losing his health. He's losing his reputation. In Job chapter 3, verse 1, it says that Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. In other words, I can't handle anymore. I wish that I had never been born. You ever felt that way? <laughs> you ever had one of those days where you thought, you know, I'm just not here anymore. <laughs> if I could just close my eyes and say I'm not here anymore. Job chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what he says here. Why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasure? Just want to die. Verse 26 of Job 3, he says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. In other words, Back and forth, there's faith and then there's pessimism. Faith and pessimism, back and forth, back and forth. All of us have done this. We'll continue to do it. But the man or woman, boy or girl, who chooses to walk by faith will find themselves being less pessimistic. And so there is a battle going on. Think of Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. Here's Moses. Listen, he says, I alone am not able to carry all these people. He's got two million, the children of Israel, in the wilderness. They've seen all the miracles of God, but they're still murmuring and complaining, wanting to go back to Egypt. He says, I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. This is Moses who God did so many miracles with and the deliverance of the children of Israel from uh, from Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. They went through it on dry ground. They watched the soldiers and the king's men, the waters close upon him. They saw all these miracles and God sustaining them as they wandered. And now he's saying, I can't carry all these people. The truth is, Moses, you never were. God was. He said, it's too burdensome for me. Well, how do you think you can carry two million people? You can't. And the truth is, you have not been. I've been doing it all. Haven't you noticed yet, Moses? He says in verse 15 of Numbers 11, So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Think of Jonah. 
In Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Now, we usually think about Jonah, we think about Moses, we think about others, and we think, praise God for men and women like this. But now we see they, too, had times of depression. Yes, pessimism, but the next day, faith, faith and pessimism, back and forth, back and forth. Think about the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, listen to what he says. They got to a point in his life with his travelers uh, and his mission work, got to a point in his life, he totally depressed. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. See, they got to a point where their natural abilities were gone. They could no longer deal with their affliction because he said it was beyond our strength. Now, I can tell you this. When I get depressed, I know these things. I've taught these things for years. When I find myself getting depressed, this is what I know. I am going beyond my strength. I'm thinking like Moses. Lord, I can't carry all these people. I can't carry all these things. Instead of realizing, ever since I was born, God's been carrying me alone. Even before I was saved, God was carrying me alone. I've been born again. He's still carrying me alone. If I realized how much He really did, which is everything, I would be overwhelmed at the task of God. And so, think of uh, Jesus the very Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Think of God the Son. Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 and 38, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And what does it say about God? Because Jesus is God. It says he began to be grieved and distressed. This is Jesus. And listen, Jesus lives in you, and you're in Him. But we struggle with our flesh, self, and our humanity. Verse 38, Matthew 26 says, Then He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me, as if he needed someone. He said, remain here and keep watch with me. Can you imagine God in the flesh saying that I am deeply grieved to the point of death? Sounds like Jonah. Of course, Jesus wasn't arguing with God because Jesus never sinned. But in his humanity, he felt a depression. He felt what humans feel. All of those feel this. One commentator said about verses 37 and 38. Listen to this. He said, he began to be sorrowful. Talking about Jesus. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He frankly told Peter, James, and John that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. This was doubtless the unspeakable revulsion of his holy soul, as he anticipated becoming a sin offering for us. 
We who are sinful cannot conceive what it meant to Him, the sinless one, to be made sin for us. It is not surprising that He left the three and went a little farther into the garden. No one else could share His suffering to pray His prayer. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the answer to this whole series. It's not that we're not going to have the feelings. We can't let the feelings trump the truth. Amen? No matter what the emotion is, and we've talked about several, we've got a couple of more to talk about. No matter what the emotion is, what does the Bible say about it, and who is this God who created me and controls me? That is the answer. And so the commentator goes on to say, lest we think this prayer expressed reluctance or a desire to turn back, we should remember his words in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, where Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You remember it was Jesus who said, Don't think that you're going to escape persecution. If you're a child of God, there will be persecution. How we see it, how we respond to it, how we think of it will guide our feelings. He said, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. And this is what he said. And this is our response. And this is our thinking that we should turn our thoughts to. This is what Jesus said. Father, glorify your name. So right in the middle of feelings that want to control you and me, we need to respond God's way and say, I don't like this, like Jonah, like Moses, like others. I don't like this, but Father, take this and glorify your name. Therefore, the commentator goes on to say, in praying that the cup might pass from him, he was not asking to be delivered from going to the cross. That was the very purpose of his coming into the world. The prayer was not intended to elicit an answer, but to teach us a lesson. Jesus was saying, in effect, My Father, if there is any other way by which ungodly sinners can be saved than by my going to the cross, reveal that way now. But in all of this, I want it known that I desire nothing contrary to your will. So what was the answer? There was none. The heavens were silent. By this eloquent silence, we know that there was no other way for God to justify guilty sinners than for Christ, the sinless Savior, to die as our substitute. Have you ever felt depression? And you're putting your faith in God through the season, but at the same time, pessimism develops within you. And then the Holy Spirit convicts you of pessimism. And then you go back into the Word of God, and you're reminded, I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. And then you walk by faith, and then somebody serves you another tennis ball <laughs> across the net, and here you are at pessimism, faith, pessimism, faith, faith, pessimism, back and forth. This is what he's talking about. Jesus never sinned. But he felt what we feel. And the Bible says he was tempted in all points just like us. Now, here is one definition a psychologist gives of depression. He says this, 
It is a condition marked by an inability to concentrate, insomnia, and feelings of dejection and guilt. It is a reduction in activity. Now, in our recent history, there are some men that are world-renowned, and they struggled with depression. Uh, There is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The greatest preacher of all time up to right now, there's no one has ever reached people like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He preached to 10,000 every single week, and when his sermons were transcribed, they put it out as far and wide as they could in printed material all across the globe. He suffered in those times. His biographer said, Arnold Dalimore said, what he suffered in those times of darkness, we may not know. Even his desperate calling on God brought no relief. There are dungeons, Spurgeon said, beneath the castles of despair. Now, this was a man that even today, Southern Baptist pastors and preachers and teachers, quote, C.H. Spurgeon. He said, there are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill sank into spells of depression. He called it the black dog on my back. Abraham Lincoln, we love him. Saw a little boy just yesterday whose name was Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, he suffered from melancholy, a condition that now may be referred to as clinical depression. But you know what? God still used him even though he felt the way he felt. Now, if you're taking notes, number one, the reality of depression, the reality of depression. I want to read an article in the Journal of American Medical Association, and then I'm going to move into a passage with Elijah to see how a depression sank into his life. But an article in the Journal of American Medical Association suggested that more human suffering has resulted from depression than from any other single disease affecting mankind. Signs of depression are sadness, apathy, inertia, difficult to get going or make a decision, loss of energy, and fatigue, often accompanied by insomnia, pessimism, and hopelessness, loss of interest in work and usual activities. There are masks reactions. In other words, people who deal with this, there's a mask reaction for some people. They smile outside to hide inner despair, hidden even from themselves. They tend to complain. Uh, Hypochondriacs and people who have a negative disposition are this way. Uh, They are angry. They have temper outbursts and impulsive behaviors. And there are different degrees of depression. There's light depression, where we work through it like a mood swing. There's moderate depression, where we begin to lose function at work, eating, sleeping, and thinking. And then there's what's called severe depression, where we withdraw and cannot function anymore. Now, with this topic in mind, I want us to look at an event in the life of Elijah, God's prophet. What happened to Elijah? that caused him to go from a great prophet to an absolute coward. 
uh, King Ahab's wife Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. And the prophet Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in a cave. And with all odds against him, Elijah stood and he challenged the king. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 18 through 19. Listen to what Elijah said. Now, here, here is God's prophet, and the king is going, and his wife are going against the prophets. And then in chapter 18, verses 18 through 19, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. That speaks of other gods. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, which is another a false god, who eat at Jezebel's table. And Elijah challenged these prophets basically to a showdown. And what Elijah did, he mocked these prophets of Baal because they couldn't call down fire from heaven and light uh, this wood that had been placed there. And Elijah ordered three times that water should be put on this wood and then uh, sacrificed and prayed. And the Lord sent fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also dried up the water in the trench. So Elijah had them seize the 450 prophets of Baal and had them all slaughtered. Elijah witnessed every bit of this. But then something happened. Depression set in so simply and so easily on Elijah. What caused his depression? It started in Elijah's mind. He had watched these miracles from God, and then verses 1 and 2 of 1 Kings 19, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, here are the words that shook this man of God who walked with God and saw these miracles. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. There he is, Elijah, hearing that, and now he's thinking, Oh, my word, where did his confidence go? There he was, standing up to the king, standing up to the prophets of Baal, and God worked on his behalf. And now it's like he's moved from faith in God to being pessimistic and saying, but God's not going to come through. I'm going to die tomorrow. He loses faith in God and struggles in his soul like the psalmist did, back and forth over words from a human being. Look at verse 4 again of um, 1 Kings 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that just let me die. It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. The reality of depression is very real. But second thing what about the results of depression? Look at verses 3 and 4. You see, he now isolates himself. Someone who's struggling with depression, they isolate themselves. And he was afraid 
and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Why did he not run from the king? Why did he not run from the prophets of Baal? Why is he now running from a woman, Jezebel, who's only said a few words, and now he is scared to death, and so now he isolates himself? One of the results of depression is isolation. There becomes a preoccupation with what is wrong. Instead of God and His will being the focus, self becomes the focus. Instead of gazing upon God and glancing at circumstances, we begin to glance at God and gaze upon circumstances, and we become preoccupied with what is wrong, and we lose our confidence. Instead of walking by faith, we now begin to be pessimistic, and it's doom and it's gloom. Instead of our focus being on, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, it gets flipped, and our focus becomes our self. Verse 4 says, Again, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father. So let's remember, we cannot let our feelings trump truth. The reason you and I need to be in God's Word regularly is because that truth needs to be in our mind So when problems come our way, circumstances come our way, our mind has somewhere to go. Because I want to tell you, it's going to be hard enough not to tell your feelings to take a back seat and tell truth to take the steering wheel and drive if you don't have truth to begin with. And so the words of Jezebel entered the mind of Elijah, and then Elijah's feelings trumped the truth. Now, what happened? Elijah became depressed because he heard that his life was going to be taken uh, from him. And so this is what happened to him. That's the reality of depression. It's very real. The results of depression, there's isolation. God just works in a certain way during that time. And now what's the remedy for all of this? What's the remedy for depression? This is the world's advice. And young people, listen to this. People will tell you to think positive. People will tell you that you can do it yourself, you go boy, you go girl, these things. And, you know, we all like a little pep rally every now and then. But I want to tell you, to be able to deal with troubles that come our way, there has to be an immediate attention put back on God and His Word. Be careful who you listen to. Because people will tell you anything to make you happy and to make you like them instead of telling you what uh, the Word of God says. Now... The world's advice is to think positive and that you can overcome these depressing thoughts and ways and you can do it yourself. But God's word says that we're to surrender control to him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to what Paul says. He says, but we have this treasure. And he's talking about the gospel message here. But it's in earthen vessels, talking about our physical body. So you and I have... The gospel message, this treasure God's given to us to share it in earthen vessels. In other words, that's our body. We're weak. So that the surpassing greatness, listen, of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. And so when you find yourself, I just feel depressed. I feel cast down. 
I'm worried. When you find yourself in this state, this is what you do. That very feeling reminds you, I must go back to first things first. I must go back to the Word of God. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And I don't have the power to live the Christ life. It is Christ in me that lives this life through me. And remember, God didn't call me and you to be coping, to be copers. God called us to be more than conquerors. Why? Because Christ lives in us. That is the key. Romans 8, 37 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Now, what's the reason we can think this way? I've already described it, but here's a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you and I have to do this. No matter what someone has said, like Job, even his wealth was taken away, his reputation was taken away, and listen, even his physical health seemed to be diminishing and being taken away. You and I, no matter what we go through in any of our life, we can say, yes, but I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knows how many days he has ordered for me. He knows how many hairs is on my head. And the Bible says, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. I can choose to walk in this by faith, or I can get on the other side of the court and walk in pessimism. Back and forth. And we choose. None of us are immune to it, but the answer is the same. We have to walk by faith in who God says that I am, and who God says that He is, and when pessimism comes, I have to say, I reject that pessimism. I've got to walk God's way and choose that way. Now, what do we see here? God sustains Elijah physically. Look at verses 5 and 8 of 1 Kings 19. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. Sometimes when you're really discouraged and maybe really depressed, sometimes the best thing you can do, and it's okay, go home, lay down and go to sleep. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It means you're wise. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. You'll have to grow you a juniper tree in the backyard so you can do this. Put you a hammock underneath it. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. So here he is saying, You need physical rest. Your physical body. You need to eat something. Have you ever just felt so horrible? And then you ate something, and you felt so much better. <laughs> Have you ever felt just like, I can't handle anymore, and you lay down and took a 10-minute nap, power nap, and you felt so much better? Have you ever taken a nap and then ate something and thought you could conquer the whole world? It's good for us to come apart, not in a bad way, but rest and get something to eat. Verse 6 says, Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones, God provided, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. <laughs> hey, there you go. Now you got to take a nap, get up and eat, and lay down again. <laughs> it's good. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat. Here he is eating again. Took a nap. He ate. Took a nap. He got up. He's eating again. Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
So he didn't say, Elijah, you need to get on your knees and you need to pray all night. Cry out in prayer. He didn't do that at all. He said, you need to lay down and go to sleep. You need to eat something is what God did. God knew that Elijah needed restoration. He needed rest. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of something that happened with Jesus and his disciples in ministry. And you see it in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. It is good to get away. Stephen Oford used to say, sometimes we have to come apart before we come apart. Amen? Sometimes we have to come apart to come apart. Sometimes, like Elijah, we need to just say, i got to lay down. I need to eat something. Trust God to sustain you physically, but also God sustained him spiritually. Look at verses 11 and 12 of 1 Kings 19. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. Now here he is. He's standing on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord was passing by. And listen to what happened. It reminds you of our a message that we looked at Peter walking on the water. There was a great storm. But listen to this. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now remember, he had already seen the miracles that God had did with the prophets of Baal. So now he's rested up, he's fattened up, and now he's standing before the Lord. He's seeing this, these strong winds rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. Have you ever just been discouraged and depressed? And what you were wanting is, I just need some gentleness, Lord. I just need some gentleness. You see, God revealed himself in mighty power, just like he had with destroying the prophets of Baal. And then God revealed himself with a gentle wind. God was reminding Elijah where his faith and his source of strength comes from. It comes from him. Now, when God's child is depressed. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul. You can jot these down, and you go home, you take a nap, you get up and you eat, then you lay back down take another nap, then you get up again and eat, and then read these verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Listen to what Paul says. And if there was ever a man that was perplexed, if there was ever a man that went through very hard times, this is what he said. He says in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he's reminding them of something that is true of them. He says, keep seeking. How do you seek? You seek with your mind. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your mind. That's where you think, not your feelings. Don't get them backwards. On the things where? Above. Not on the things that are here on this earth. You know why? If you focus on the here and now exclusively, mark it down, you're going to be depressed. Now think about this. God restored Elijah 
to his purpose for Elijah. Remember, God used Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel's few words sent him running. He went from a mighty prophet of God to an absolute coward. And so therefore, he's now not walking in God's purposes for him. But God restored Elijah to his purpose for him. Look at verse 13 of 1 Kings 19. He said, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then verse 15 of 1 Kings 19 says, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king of Aram. So Elijah sums up what truly troubles him in verse 14. Listen to this. Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Be careful of having a remnant theology and a remnant mindset you will find yourself in a cave of despair. You say, yes, things are troubling, but I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm going to choose to walk straight ahead until I understand all this is. Be careful of surrounding yourself with a small group of people who have a remnant mindset. They will pull you down and isolate you from the family of God. We cannot go down this route that Elijah did. So what did God do? He reminds him of what is positive. Look at verse 18 of 1 Kings 19. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You know what he's saying? He said, Elijah, you're not the only one. Get your focus on all those of you who are left. And so Elijah sees God work on his behalf just like he used to before he ran and isolated himself from God. Look at verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he went, and he with the 12th, and Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. We don't have time to go into that, but Think about this. Once Elijah went through this season, he gave himself back to God. God picked up where he left off with Elijah and sent him straight ahead. Now, you think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, he left heaven and he came to this earth. And I want to tell you, things did not go perfectly well as we think of it. And this is how he responded to what he found in his short 33 years on this earth, you see it in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, listen to this, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He hum Listen, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what was happening. Jesus, who is God, took on human flesh. That is his humiliation. And how did he respond to it? He didn't run from it. 
He didn't uh, get out of God's will. He accepted it, and in a humble way, he moved straight forward. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So what does this remind us of? Hebrews 12, verse 2. Listen, if you're suffering from depression or if you want to help somebody that is, Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen, when someone's depressed, what's happened? They're going back and forth, faith and pessimism, faith and pessimism. And as a child of God, helping another brother and sister in Christ, when you see they're moving from faith to pessimism, help them get their focus back on Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endure the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, there's some more verses that I had here, but that is enough. Amen? Listen, Jesus has already come. He's already completed his work on the cross. There's nothing more for him to do to bring salvation to mankind. You and I have believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ. We've asked Him to come into our heart. He came into our heart and set up residence. This church has faithfully for 25 years taught that you're in Christ. Christ is in you. The answer to all human emotions, feelings, is the truth of the Word of God. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives through me as I abide in Him. But myself... And all Christians, we can choose by an act of our human will to get our focus off of God's faithfulness and get our focus on to pessimism, and it will put you in a cave. And like Spurgeon said, a dark dungeon under a castle. You know what that's like? Do you have people in your life that's in this right now? The answer is still the same. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.